I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain it to me. I'm no, not you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an no. illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble. And I know it. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Pizza we have tonight. Uh, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. I'm not a therapist, so maybe I'm not qualified to decide why or who becomes a predator and for what reason. But I do believe, after coming face to face with some 400 of these guys, that they break down into three categories. And I've mentioned this before in speeches and talks to parents, groups and things like that. I think there is a younger group, some of whom are opportunists, 18, 19, 20 years old, socially inept, and they reach out to girls who are 12, 13, 14 years old, thinking that they can connect, they can get lucky. If something happens, well, in a couple of years, the age difference won't be illegal. And they have these chats and they say things they wouldn't normally say based on fitness. And they end up coming to meet a girl in our case, a decoy, and get busted. And some people get mad at me for exposing these younger guys because of their age. My argument is, is that, you know, at the end of the day, why is an 18, 19, or 20-year-old any less dangerous than a 38, 48, or 58-year-old? And the same danger is there, I believe. And so we do expose those characters when they're caught in our investigations. The difference in that particular group, I think, is that because of their age, many can be put on probation, given treatment, counseling, therapy, monitoring of their computer equipment. And I think there's a good chance that some of these guys will not reoffend. They'll understand that what they did was wrong. They'll move on. And we've seen cases like that. In fact, I have requests out to some of these guys to appear on this podcast. I'm hoping they will because I would like to tell some stories of redemption and recovery. So that's the one category. Then the second category are the guys who are attracted to younger boys or girls, whether it's an illness, a creepiness, or just they're bad humans. 
they're attracted. It's a fantasy in some cases. And they wouldn't defend, though, they wouldn't act on this fantasy without the internet, the 24-hour-a-day access, the addictive quality of it, and the anonymity, which, again, allows these guys to say things online that they wouldn't say face-to-face. And so they see an opportunity in a chat room to fulfill this fantasy with a younger boy or girl. And they start a chat, they say things, they go back and forth, they troll, they groom. And then when they think it's okay to have the meeting, they cross this line between fantasy and reality and here they come knocking at our door. These guys are the more complicated cases because some we've seen have been given prison sentences and have continually violated their probation. And they go back to jail. In fact, the rabbi, David Kay, is such a case. You would think a guy like that, you know, who was at one time a respected member of the community, would do his time, do his therapy, and try to live a straight life. But he's been in and out of prison now a handful of times. These guys deserve serious punishment. Some will not reoffend again. Some will, and it's hard to tell. But the third category, the third category is one that has been around since the beginning of time. These are true hardcore predators, pedophiles in many cases. These are the guys who, with or without the internet, would be trolling the mall food courts, movie theaters, parks. They're the bad Boy Scout leader. Little League coach, the guy who preys upon vulnerable boys and girls, at-risk boys and girls. And that is the group that likely can't be fixed. These are the guys who need to go to prison forever, I would argue. Because when you talk to the doctors, the psychiatrists, the people who study this field, the people who really know because they've spent time in prisons talking to offenders. They interview men who have nothing to lose by telling the truth. They will tell you that most of these guys will never, ever be rehabilitated. They are true predators and pedophiles. And the offenders will say to these therapists that if I've been caught once, or if a predator like me has been caught once, they've likely offended two or three other times at least, maybe more. They will also tell the therapist, in all honesty, that there is a direct correlation link between viewing child pornography and offending. There's no question there. And so that is why in these cases where a predator is caught in our sting or any other sting, Oftentimes, child porn is found on their computer. And those are the guys that should go away forever. And such is the case with a predator I've caught named Chuck Harding. To be honest with you, I sort of forgot about Chuck Harding. You know, when I communicate with Joy Teacap or other members of the predator community, when I say predator community, I mean the To Catch a Predator, Hanson versus Predator our new series, Have a Seat with Chris Hansen. We have another television series coming out. We're going to come up with a new name for that, specifically dealing with the reboot to the Predator investigations. And I hear over and over again, 
profile this guy, look into this guy. And Chuck Harding's name comes up time and time again. And it took me a minute to remember who he was. And gosh, when I went back through the transcripts, when I looked at the video of my interview with him, he is, without a doubt, one of the most disturbing, dangerous, despicable men who surfaced in any of our investigations. Chuck Harding was arrested in our Riverside, California sting. And we've profiled other predators who've been caught in that sting. It set a record for the number of predators caught in one investigation, 51 in three days in Riverside, which is shocking to look back upon. He was 65 years old at the time. His screen name was Hard Chuck One. And his conversation with a decoy who was posing as a 13-year-old boy named Luke was mind-boggling in its graphic display of depravity, predatory intent. And when I get into his background, it'll be even more disturbing for you. Some of you may know some things about Chuck Harding. His chat went on for four or five days, and there was no mystery as to what he wanted from this 13-year-old boy. He was chatting with a decoy who worked with perverted justice. This was our third investigation for To Catch a Predator, but the first one where we had law enforcement doing a parallel investigation, in this case, the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Wonderful group of investigators led by Chad Bianco, who's now the sheriff of Riverside. So let me give you a sample of this chat provided by Perverted Justice. Luke portrays himself as a young boy who's gay, likes to dress up as a girl, and in fact has had a sexual experience with his uncle, an adult. Hard Chuck One, Chuck Harding, jumps right in. One, the 13-year-old boy who goes by the screen name Stadium Sucks asks him, how old are you? Hard Chuck One starts by saying, too old for what you're looking for. I could be your grandpa. Into young boys your age, love to cuddle them and caress. Work their body with my tongue all over and suck their hard cock dry. So this is literally just minutes into the conversation. Now again, this is a chat room intended for gay men to meet, but right off the bat, Luke makes it very clear that he's only 13. And you can tell from this chat that Chuck Harding understands that. When Luke shares that he's had this sexual experience with his uncle, an adult, Hard Chuck jumps right in, wants to know the details. Was the male inside you, son? Did he come inside you? The decoy says, yeah, I had nylons on, was hot. Asked to trade pictures. Chuck Harding sends the boy pictures and then starts to groom him, talks about what he'd like to do with the boy. Now, just sending those pictures is a crime in and of itself. But what Hard Chuck One is about to say is clearly the solicitation of a minor, inducing a minor into lewd and lascivious behavior, and on and on. Hard Chuck One tells the boy what he has done for a living. I'm retired now, he says. I used to drive a bus for the elderly and handicapped for five years. I worked as a travel agent for 13. 
worked as an airlines employee for 19 and three quarters years and was in the religious life for the Catholic Church for two and a half years and taught freshmen in high school. And Hard Chuck One wasn't lying about being a teacher or in a religious order. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. Then Hard Chuck One talks about how he could appear to be the boy's grandpa who will be there for his son and lover. And then he says, I can really tell son, I'm already falling in love with you. This is just in the first conversation. So over the next two or three days, the conversation continues. Hardchuck One talks about bringing a camera so he can take pictures of the boy and the sex they're going to have. And then just to make it very clear what his intentions are, Hardchuck One says, I want to hug you, cuddle you in my arms, caress your body, work my tongue all over it, lick your balls, work my tongue around your clean asshole. Ugh. And tongue fuck your ass. I want to suck your cock and swallow your cum loot. Okay, so I'm sorry if that's too graphic, but so you know, that's what Chuck Harding is all about. So we're set up and, and as you can imagine, it's a busy three days for us in Riverside. As I mentioned, 51 guys show up. 51 guys are arrested. 51 guys are prosecuted. And here, on a weekend afternoon, comes Chuck Harding. We had the guys in Riverside come to the house, walk down a sidewalk on the side of the house, and come in through a patio door. It's a sliding glass door, and we had a red curtain set up. And right away, after Chuck Harding comes in... Hello? Yeah. Hey, hold on a second. I gotta finish brushing my teeth. Okay. You can tell he's anxious. He's suspicious. And Del Harvey, who was posing as a 13-year-old boy, says... So we gonna go get a camera? So he comes in. Hard Chuck one comes in. And he's looking around suspiciously. And he says out loud, and you can hear this, I just want to look around and check things out. He's a heavy guy. And he's wearing this T-shirt that's got like a roadmap of California on it. And so I wait because I want to see what he's going to do. But he's starting to move quickly, and he's going to get into the room where I'm at and where the cameras are. And, and I want to take him off before then. So I go out pretty early. Hey, how are you? Okay. Why don't you have a seat right around that stool there for me? Okay. What you up to today? Nothing. I had a Go call. Seat. Call? You talking call? to a gentleman? A gentleman. Yeah. So you had a call to talk to a gentleman. Yeah. What was so offensive and so just irritating about the way Chuck Harding reacted to me was that he went from denial to justification. Like this was okay, what he was doing. And he tried to explain it away in a manner that to me indicated not only was this just a truly evil guy, but he was a guy who had offended before. And when you hear the entirety of his background, you'll also hear that he had opportunity to do this in the past. So his first excuse is that he was here to sell a house. He told me to come in and talk to him about possibly 
selling the house or something. Selling the house? Yeah, I have a place that I have for sales. Oh, you're selling a house? Uh, I see. He was interested. And how did you get in contact with a fellow who wanted to perhaps buy the house you're selling? We were chatting on the internet. On the internet. I knew this is clearly BS, but I'm going to live in the moment here during the interview and see what I can get out of him. Yeah, how, how much are you selling it for? $25,000. $25,000. That's quite the bargain. So it's a mobile home. It's a mobile home. Hmm. Now, this is 15 years ago, but still, California property, even the trailer houses, they're pretty expensive. And so I shoot that down, and he goes to his next excuse. He then tries to cast doubt on whether or not he's the one who actually had the conversation. And I confront him with his screen name, Hardchuck1. Wish I could find a young man to play with. Wish I could cuddle you in my arms and kiss you and blank your blank. Well, I have another person that uses my computer. Another person. Right. Is that another person, Chuck? No, that is, that's me. That's you. What are you looking for? I could be your grandpa. Into young boys your age. Love to cuddle with them, caress their body, work my... And it goes on from there. You sure it's my... C-C-H-A-R-D? Hard Chuck One. It was clear that this was him. He said it. And at least as far as I could tell, and ultimately... In the opinion of law enforcement, he was there to have sex with a 13-year-old boy named Luke. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. So this is where it really gets disturbing. While we were rushed during this particular portion of our investigation, I did have enough time. And perverted justice was able to dig deeply into his background. So I did know that he worked, and he said in the transcript that he worked in the transportation industry and that he worked as a bus driver. But we found out as well, and this really bothered me to my core, that he had studied and was in a religious order. It turns out that years before he showed up in our kitchen in 2006, Chuck Harding was actually in the order of Don Bosco. And I asked him about this. This is a Catholic group of brothers dedicated to teaching children, middle school, high school. And this is what he was preparing to do. This man who talked openly, brazenly, aggressively, shockingly about sexual acts he wanted to perform on a 13-year-old boy. This man was in the order of Don Bosco preparing to teach children. This was particularly bothersome to me. I had been educated in a Catholic high school by brothers, different order. And while this particular order which educated me, had some issues overseas. Not once in my four years at Brother Rice High School did I ever even get a sense of any impropriety 
amongst the brothers who taught there, who taught me. Different sorts of characters, all dedicated to teaching young men. I got more out of that four years in some ways than I did in, in four years of college. I might not even have made it to the college I went to, Michigan State University, without that experience at Brother Rice. So to run face-to-face into someone who was, at one point, studying, preparing, and allegedly having devoted his life towards the education of children, having run into this guy in my predator investigation absolutely outraged me to my core. I confront him with this. Were you ever a teacher? When I was in a religious life, I was studying to be a, a teacher in high school for a photo offset printing at the Catholic high school. And when you say religious life, Catholic church for the Catholic church. But what role did you play? I was a brother. I was a brother. Hard Chuck One also worked for Frontier Airlines for a while. And before he retired, and he tried to make a big deal out of the fact that he was retired, thinking that I wouldn't get into the jobs he did perform over the years. Before he retired for good, he was a bus driver in California, transporting special needs children. Now, I don't have to point out the obvious here that having somebody with this sort of pedophilic orientation driving disabled children around creates the opportunity for a nightmare scenario. Now, there is no evidence that I have seen that he molested other kids, either when he was a brother or when he was working for the airlines or when he was driving children who were challenged. But the opportunity clearly was there and that should disturb each and every one of you. And this is why I go back to the fact that the best defense for our children is an open, honest conversation with their parents about the dangers online. And it's got to be an age-appropriate conversation. And here's an even more troubling thing that we uncovered in this investigation. And he tells me about it in my interview, and we'll play some in a second here. He ultimately, after all his excuses, defenses, don't work. He tells me that he is a believer in the relationship, sexual relationship between adults and kids. And in fact, he talks about a book he had called Hand Jobs. And it tries to normalize sexual relationships between men and boys. And it goes into detail about how to complete these acts with kids and how to cover up these relationships. I got books that I read, sir. I, Books. I, I I have yeah, it's called hand jobs. It's it deals with younger older uh you know, father son dad. Father son? Yes. You're is. talking about fathers having sex with their sons, grandfathers having sex with their yeah, and doctors sons. with their patients, with the young patients, uh employees with their young patients. You talk about this like it's some sort of hobby building transcendence. That's not what we're talking about here. It's a book that I read and I fantasize. 
You know, I thought, okay, we'll see. Finally, after this exhausting conversation wraps up, and and usually, you know, I think of a couple things I wanted to include in the interview after the predator leaves. I covered just about everything with Hard Chuck One. You know, all these years looking back, 15 years later now, you know, I think of a few other things, but really, I got most of what I was going to get out of him. And he leaves. And he's arrested. And he's charged with, among other things, lewd and lascivious behavior. His bond is set very high. It's set, uh, the bond is set at like $500,000. And in the course of the follow-up investigation, detectives find that he possessed child porn. And he never did get out of jail. There was evidence that he was tied in with other people who were true believers in this philosophy extolled in the book, Handjobs. And there were some arrests related to Chuck Harding involving possession of child pornography. And he ultimately admitted to authorities that he was involved in a group that traded child porn. And remember what I said at the beginning about the doctors and psychiatrists who get these guys, these true hardcore pedophiles to open up in prison. They universally say that if they've been caught once, they did it at least two or three times before. And there was always a link between child pornography and offending. Chuck Harding claimed over and over again to me and to authorities that he had never, ever had a sexual liaison with a child. Do you believe that? I don't. During the six months he was in jail, Chuck Harding seemed to know that he was going to go away, potentially, for the rest of his life. The child pornography charges were looming. The charges from the investigation were hanging over his head. And this further investigation would have likely revealed a ring of pedophiles. We didn't get the chance to hear testimony or attend a trial or hear any more from Chuck Harding because Chuck Harding knowing what he was facing, decided in jail to stop taking his medication. He was on blood pressure medication. And ultimately, he died in jail of a heart attack brought on by high blood pressure and other medical conditions. Now, he wasn't the healthiest guy in the world when he walked into our kitchen. He was huffing and puffing. He was anxious. And he did not look healthy. He was overweight. Obese. So he wasn't the healthiest guy in the first place. So he stopped taking medication. So was this suicide? Well, if you do something on purpose, that'll lead to your death. I guess you could argue that. It was a slow suicide, I suppose. But he, he died six months after he surfaced in our investigation. So we'll never know unless someone comes forward who has evidence 
some of you listening will say, good riddance. He deserved to die for what he had done, what he was about to do, what he might have done in the future if not caught in our investigation. And I understand that. But I would argue that it would have been better for him to go to trial. This could have been a breakthrough case in one of the early predator investigations, the first one where law enforcement was involved, the first one where the court system was involved in a case that involved journalists, an online watchdog group for justice. And it could have changed how, in the early days, the court system gave sentences to the people caught. There was a tendency early on to say, okay, this was a TV sting, fine, this was bad. Here's your probation, here's your one year suspended sentence, six months in the county jail. But this, this was a guy who deserved to go away for a very long time, if not forever. And it would have been a great case to go to trial, to let the prosecution have at it, and to have a vigorous defense. And I bet we learn a lot more about Chuck Harding, Hard Chuck One. But we didn't. Still, as I continue to go back and look at some of these cases, and as we continue to do more for future shows on television and YouTube, I encourage anyone who knows more about Chuck Harding to reach out to me at chris at predatorpodcast.com. Speaking of reaching out, every episode I like to acknowledge somebody who has sent me a message and a question. And we have one from a listener from South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hey, Chris. My name is Jacob from South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Really love what you're doing with the show. My question is brief. What's the closest that you ever came during an investigation to just flat out breaking and just cracking up hysterically in front of one of the predators. Thanks. And that is an excellent question. I guess there have been a couple different times where I've flat out almost laughed at a predator. And one that comes to mind was in New Jersey, Manilokan, on the Jersey Shore. And during the course of the investigation, a guy came in, he worked for an auto dealership, 25 years old. And before I could say a word, he says to me, oh, you're Chris Hansen. And I said, how did you know that? He said, well, I watch your show all the time. I never miss an episode. And when I do, I, I download it from the internet. And I was stunned. Here's a guy who was an avid viewer of the show who walked into our house on the Jersey Shore to have sex with a child and instead ran into me. That gave me a reason to chuckle. A dark chuckle, but a chuckle nevertheless. Thank you for joining me once again. So many more cases to come. And again, if you want to find me, I'm at chris at predatorpodcast.com. I'm Chris Hansen, and this has been Predators I've Caught. <laughs>